My guest on this week's episode of Says and Search is Azim Ahmed, aka Azim Digital. Azim is a veteran digital marketer, an international conference presenter, and the host of one of the most popular podcast series around, Azim Digital Asks. Azim is an outspoken advocate for diversity and inclusion initiatives, especially within our industry. To learn more, I highly recommend following him on Twitter at the handle at Azim Digital and by subscribing to his newsletter, The Marginalized Marketer. I caught up with Azim shortly after he delivered a presentation at Brighton SEO about how to get buy-in from your boss using ROI. I love this topic because it actually sounds like the job that marketers do. Developing persuasive skills using data is a great thing for young marketers to learn. I'll also ask him about his podcast. We'll talk about what makes a great show great. We'll discuss some of the amazing guests he's spoken to and tune in to find out how the show got started in the first place. We'll chat about being a multi-channel digital marketer rather than a specialist. We'll spend some time talking about what it was like being back at a big in-person conference again. And I'll spend a little time chatting with him about how to overcome common objections when you are seeking buy-in from your boss. All right, Azim, welcome to Southern Search. How are you doing? I am very well, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I understand that you're doing this on a bank holiday there in the UK, so I appreciate you fitting us in. I know that can be tough on a day off. Absolutely. Uh, one thing I didn't mention off the recording, uh, you might judge me for now. Uh, it's over here in the UK. It's 8.34pm. Uh, this is dangerously close to Azim's bedtime. <laughs> so don't I judge understand me. That. I, I understand that very well. So uh, that too, I appreciate you doing doing this uh, late, in, late in the night there. So uh, I want to start with the, the Zim Asks podcast. I can see the shirt you're wearing there. It's a very popular podcast. Uh, you've gotten some great guests. Open-ended question. Tell our audience about the show, how you got started, and what they can expect if they go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for, for bringing it up, first of all. Um, yeah, so the Azim Digital Asks podcast uh, started a few years back in the first uh, lockdown over in the UK um, and the answer to that is probably sort of twofold so the, the, the first part of that is I really miss uh, the in-person aspect of, of conferences and certainly the networking and I thought right what how can I still hang out with my friends but more importantly how can I help others get some value uh, from that so that was like the first part of it but the the second part of that was um, before I started the podcast a few years ago. I um, had sort of dabbled in audio and podcast advertising, but for me, I've always been keen to sort of like look under the hood, understand how it all works. So I managed to place ads, podcast ads, but I never understood how podcasts work and how to set them up. So I thought, right, well, I'm going to set one up uh, and see what happens. I'm just going to record a chat with a couple of friends, put it out there, see what happens. And it started off. And it was like, oh, 30 people have listened to this. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Am I an influencer now? Uh, but in all seriousness, back to the, the point of the podcast. So the main reason was to network with people, um, to learn from people. And more importantly, as you, you've probably uh, seen from my social feeds, I'm a huge, huge advocate for uh, diversity and inclusion. And I realised that there was right. a space in the marketing podcast industry because there are millions of marketing podcasts i don't know how many but if you search marketing podcasts you'll get tons there in fact as a test um don't do it now but after listening maybe type in something like best marketing podcast look at that carousel it's probably full 
of, of white faces. So I thought there's an opportunity here for an ugly brown face to get involved, but also to help amplify the voices of people who I typically class as marginalised. So one thing that I always say is um, I don't really care if people have three followers or 300,000. If there's some value to be had from a conversation of up to 20 minutes, then then let's make this happen. So, yeah, that that's uh, that's the that's the podcast. Please check it out. Well, awesome, and I, I I want to point people to your social media. I think you're a good Twitter follow for more of that stuff on the diversity and inclusion aspect. I think you're a good follow for for all your contributions, um, and we'll make sure to to link to that in show in the show notes. You know, I okay. want to ask you about the medium itself, about podcasting itself. Um, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was. Uh, maybe it's like you during COVID and the lockdowns. I got more into it. I certainly made friends with you. Like Jason Bernard was on this show. I love his podcast now. I check it out all the time. You know, but I have other interests too. Like sports are an interest of mine. Where I'm, I'm more into podcasts than I was before I had one for sure. Again, a broad broad question about the medium itself. What what do you think makes a podcast work? What what do you think are the key components? What do you think? When you've had a really good show, what do you think were, were the ingredients that really worked? Uh, so personally speaking for me, uh, depending on, on when this goes out, so my, my next episode, uh, I never reveal the guests before they come out by the way, but my next episode mm-hmm. is, is all about content and how it's more just blogging. And it's a conversation where I don't say anything. So when I come to edit the podcast, I look at the sound waves, for example, if it's purely audio. And if my track has lots of waves in there it's probably not a great episode when there's little to none in there and it's all about the guest and the value i'd never try to add too much because i think people come to the episode certainly for my podcast to listen to the guests they haven't come for me so it's important for me to not say a lot so great episode is that but more importantly for me generally speaking it's where you can passively listen and or watch and get value from it so for example more recently with my podcast I've just started to introduce video to that to understand mm-hmm. whether people will visually consume it or is it just pure audio and at the moment open book um, if you look on on YouTube the for the more the more recent episodes I should say are on there probably no more than 30 or 40 views but if I look at the numbers on Spotify video for example those are increasing a lot of my subscribers are on Spotify it's a no-brainer for me to put that on there but I've, I've digressed slightly a great episode is where you can passively listen and get value from it sometimes i listen to podcasts that are maybe you know three or four hours long i can't tell you everything that's said in those three or four hours but i can tell you the four or five key points and things that resonate yeah. with me especially when i'm working at home i don't like silence i'll put something on like a podcast and i listen away and work sometimes there'll be something that's said that's made me sort of stop what i'm doing and think that is that's incredible i need to go back and just hear that again so i can process it and it's literally those moments that can that can take you away and you think that you've got value from it so passively gain value from it but more importantly make you think right i want to go back and listen to this again and and hear that again properly so i can fully understand what's being said so the value is is key there for me i love that I, I think another thing about you that's interesting is you're a well-rounded digital marketer. A lot of people we have on here are an expert at a really specific thing, like we're they're a local SEO or an mm. expert on TikTok ads or something like that. Um, 
I, I feel like I really benefited from sort of out of necessity. I had to learn a lot of things really in my agency life. Uh, I just had to kind of dabble in a lot of things to see what would work. Mm. You know, I, I wonder, do you think that your varied interests, that you kind of have a specialization in a lot of different things, has made you a better podcaster, has made you a better interviewer? Because you, you've got, you're, you're not so deep. You're, you're generally interested in everything, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even the things that I, I don't enjoy uh, or I or I find difficult. To be fair, the things that I find difficult, I probably spend a lot more time doing. But yeah, the thing, the areas of marketing that I don't enjoy, I'll, I will still get involved because I guess for me, when I started, I think it probably worked in my favour. Two things. My career started agency side, so I learned huge amounts very, very quickly. It's one thing I would never change. Starting in an agency, I would recommend that to anybody because you have to hit that ground running. But more specifically, I started solely working only in PPC. All I ever knew was PPC and Google Ads. And very quickly after a few years, and more out of my, my own sort of being inquisitive and looking and delving more into into Google Analytics, I very quickly thought two things. Well, number one, PPC is, is not everything. People don't just think, oh, I'm going to search for this, click the ad and buy it. Right. The whole buyer journey is sort of fragmented and complex. And I thought, well, I need to understand as much of this as possible. And also, PPC may not be around forever. And at the time, sort of seven or eight years ago, there were lots and lots of, of PPC marketers. So I thought, well, how can I stand out? How can I diversify what I know? Because if this agency was to go boom tomorrow, my only skill set is in PPC. So I'm up against, you know, uh, hundreds of people who know this. So I thought very quickly that I need to diversify. I need to learn about all these these different channels and I'm very fortunate that well I started agency side and more importantly one of my last clients agency side uh, was a huge European auto manufacturer and I learned quickly then that it's literally not just search or at the time when I left I was playing in sort of um, paid search paid social those sort of areas and a little bit of SEO is where I sort of started to get my interest in there I realized very quickly, for example, when it comes to buying a car, there was a Google study that they released so many years ago saying something like, I don't know, 300 digital touch points over X amount of months. Um, it's something that I'm doing now. I'm looking to buy a car. I'm looking at my own search behavior afterwards thinking, I feel for the people who have to run these marketing campaigns. But yeah, to answer your question, right. I realized I had to diversify super quick. Um, at the start, it was more out of interest. I needed to learn how all the pieces work together to understand the entire puzzle, not just look at one specific part of it. Um, but then more importantly, I realized in order to get better at marketing, I needed to, to understand, I needed to break things essentially, and I needed to get more analytical, I needed to spread myself thin. So if people ask me, am I an expert in local SEO? Absolutely not. Can I run a Google business profile page yeah absolutely I'm fortunate to have a wonderful friend called Claire Carlisle who will just phone up and say look I need some help with this uh, she can do that but yeah I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in anything not even podcasting I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in anything but the idea of me learning to spin several plates at once in order to become a better marketer certainly appeals to me and, and that's how I got to where I am today Love it. Love it. Well, I, I want to ask you about Claire's appearance on your show. She's a friend of ours and 
She was she was great. I, I listened to her episode before before you came on here, but I you know I, I worry sometimes. But I love podcasting is my favorite part of my job. So sometimes I can go down a rabbit hole with another fellow podcaster. So I do want to ask you about uh, about your Brighton speech. So I, I reviewed the slides and um, it was really really well received. I mean everybody on Twitter had good things to say for you. Uh, and before you. I get into the meat and meat and potatoes of that speech. Um, yeah, I, 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 this was the first big conference back, right? At least, at least for most people, for many people anyway, um, since the since the pandemic. I didn't, I didn't get to go. Uh, our vice president of search, Greg Gifford, was there, spoke, but I had horrible FOMO. Like this was, this looked really great. <laughs> the pictures were amazing. Uh, just give me your impressions of being back at a in person live conference to have a crowd, uh, to be able to network with people and shake hands and all that stuff. What, what was it like? Yeah, it, it was brilliant. So it was the first, uh, an inverted speeches proper one back because there was one in the autumn fall, uh, but it was only for sort of UK people, unfortunately, due to the restrictions here. So it would have been either extremely expensive or difficult for any of our non-UK friends to come. But a lot of people were seeing um, the images from from that conference and were like, "Oh, we can't wait for the summer. Hopefully, things are better." And yeah, this one around. Um, was huge it felt like a, a a normal brighton seo lots of people um lots of engagement and yeah for for a couple of days at least and certainly sort of 20 minutes at a time during people's uh, conference talks it felt like things were sort of back to normal again and that's a credit to everybody else who was who was speaking and attending who made that conference and just maybe switch off from the outside world temporarily um and just really geek out for a few days which was uh which was really cool so yeah it, it was brilliant and i've got no doubt that that will continue to grow um hopefully positively throughout the year there's another one um later this year um and let's hope it's just as big if not bigger than the last awesome awesome well the topic you you presented on is how to get buy-in from your boss using roi I really like this topic, so I'm going to ask you a, a bunch of questions about it, and let's let's dive in. But the first thing that comes to mind is a question about bosses. There are different kinds of bosses. Some, <laughs> some are, you know, some are bean counters. They're like, okay, if uh, it doesn't work out in the the PNL, then no. Uh, some are hmm. aggressive. They're conquesters. They want to. They care about market share. Uh, I've had bosses that like are still working in the business, and they would really like to just have relief from from what they're doing. So, yeah, I guess when you're trying to get buy-in, um, do you think the approach should change, you know, based on where the boss sits in the in the C-suite or within the organization? Do you think the, the, the way you approach them should change based on who they are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for example, people, if we stick with the phrase boss, people will typically have one boss or a line manager, somebody somebody that they report into. When we look at the C-suite or the boardroom, for example, I've worked in different sort of setups where marketing has a direct involvement with the CMO, obviously, but also with the CFO, for example. Now, the CFO will typically only care about uh, dollar bills, um, pound signs. They don't care about things like CTR, 
to be fair, let me just okay. take a side step for a second. I slag off CTR all the time because on its own, I just don't think it means anything. So whenever I say something negative about a metric, I'll always pull out a CTR because on its own, it doesn't mean anything to me. Right, back in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CMOs will want to know about all that all that juicy stuff, clicks, impressions, how many people saw it, etc. CFO was literally be like, I've given you $1,000. How many are you bringing back to the company? If it's less, why? If it's more, what can you do with 2,000 or 10,000? So typically I would hope that attendees of the talk or anybody in marketing who would have come to that talk already has some sort of relationship with the C-suite. If they didn't, or if you listen to this and you don't have that relationship, it has to be via another person. Find a way to make that happen. Even if it's just like, for example, if you're in the office, um, and you're making a cup of tea, for example, very British thing, and you're having a chat at the kettle, just start talking about marketing, start talking about, you know, what are you up to today, yeah. what are your challenges today, what do you want to achieve today, and then it's not necessarily a marketer trying to be friendly and get in with the CFO, you're just literally showing an interest, for all you know, that CFO could be having the worst day ever, this is literally what I did, jump in the, in, into the kitchen and be like, you know, when it gets to 5pm today, what three things would you like to get out the door and why and then it's just a nice break typically this is very very stereotypical i should say monday mornings everybody's like oh how's your weekend and it's lovely to learn more about people but you don't know if that person is saying the same story four or five times over and by the fifth time if that is you it's literally just gonna be like oh, yeah right. i went to see my parents went to the pub had a few beers here we are again or it could just be like look it's monday Let's get to it. What do you want to get out of the door today? So to answer your question in a very long-winded way, start forging relationships with those people if you don't. If you do, start to leverage them, leverage them to both of your advantage. If it's one-sided, then very soon you'll see that, that the quality of that relationship, I think, will start to diminish. So if you don't have one, lever uh, build that relationship. If you do have one, start to leverage it to both of your advantage. Yeah, that reciprocity yeah. is a very important. Yeah. Okay, mm. so let's say I, I've, I've had um, an epiphany. I want to get buy-in from my boss. I've scheduled the big meeting. Uh, I'm, I'm now at my desk with a few spare hours to get my, my approach ready. What are the first one or two steps that I should be taking? Where, where do you start with this stuff? Speaking purely from my own experience, I like to try and get involved in as much of the business numbers as I can. Generally speaking, in any business that tends to have a bad period or a bad patch, or the, the money is tight, more often than not, I was going to say 9 out of 10 times, but more often than not, marketing is the first place that gets that budget slashed. Oh, we don't need money right. marketing, they just sit on Facebook all day. Again, very, stif very stereotypical views. I need to make sure, something that I've I'm literally just done now, um, I need to make sure that I'm adding value, not just in terms of making sure the graph goes up and to the right, but in terms of increasing the bottom line of the business, increasing the revenue for the business. So I need to say, right, last year the business made X. This is what the business actually spent on marketing. Typically, we could do a whole other episode on this, so I won't spend too long. Attribution, I don't mm -hmm. think anybody has cracked yet. But I need to make yeah. sure that the people listening to what I'm about to say, because ultimately, the long and short of it is, I'm going into them to say, I would like £10,000, please. This is what I think it's going to return. It could be a 30-second meeting, but as a marketer, 
you've got to spice it up a little bit and say, look, this is what the business is going to give to me. This is what I hope to return back from it. So very often, I will say that in a 30 minute or a one hour meeting, I'll put some numbers in front of the business and make sure that there's something in there, in that presentation for every member of the boardroom, right down to the CEO. So I'll talk about, for example, leads was an example that I used in my presentation. I could talk about the quality of the lead, for example, and I can talk about how we're going to nurture that lead into a sale. For the CFO, as I mentioned earlier, just cold hard cash numbers. You give me X, I think I will give you Y. If it doesn't, then I'll tell you what happened and we can talk about it then. There might be unforeseen circumstances, seasonality, typically people say. For the CMO, I'll spend a lot more time talking about this is the person that I'm going to speak to, this is my audience, this is my customer profile, this is how we're going to do it. So we'll tailor it to each individual person. Hopefully be ready um, for any questions that come my way, but ultimately I will say, here's what I'd like to achieve. And one thing that I do, one thing that I always do, and I don't think that I mentioned this in my presentation, but I will always go in. So let's say... What's the best way to describe this? I always present three opportunities. I will say, if we did nothing instead the same, here's what I think we'll achieve. If you increase what I've asked for by 10%, I think we can deliver this, and you can hold me to those numbers. If you're not comfortable with increasing what I'm asking for by 10%, how about you give me half of what I ask for, and then I'll deliver this. If you want, you can give me half for X amount of time. If that progress starts to track, and I'm in line with where I would be if you doubled the investment, then we can double it. I never typically spend too long talking about the 50% because it's often the one that gets brought into like, okay, we'll give you half and then let's go from there. Um, but typically when you present it that way, sort of like a Dragon's Den style thing, um, we will just go to there and go from there. I love it. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting about how you approach that is that you're going to forecast some things. You're going to say, if, if you do this, I expect that you'll have this sort of return, which is, I think, challenging. I think that can be hard, especially for a younger marketer. And it's a little bit courageous. You have to you have to put your neck on the line for that result, and you have to, to follow through. You have to realize that some of these things are outside of your control. If there's a huge recession or if there's a a new competitor comes into play, your your forecast might be kaput. Uh, how do you how do you get better mm-hmm. forecasts? How do you how do you make sure that you can you can be a man of your word or a, a woman of your word and make sure that you're you're actually delivering? on what you what you say to the boss yeah that's a that's a great question so typically more often than not most marketers including myself sometimes will say we'll look at historical data for example certainly in my situation uh, we've just done two uh, CMS migrations so one was in February March time so if I look at year on year it's literally apples and oranges and when we look at right. um, business reviews and whatever, typically the business will look at year on year. And in some cases, um, after a, after a migration, traffic will decline. If, like I said earlier about CTR, if we looked at that, and I've certainly had this conversation, oh, we've lost X amount of traffic, what's going on? I'll say, yeah, we have, but look at every other metric, look at engagement, right. look at the depth of people's visits, look at what they're doing, look at conversions. Would you rather less overall people but of a higher quality better conversions and more importantly the sales numbers and volume has gone up it's grown and i haven't done a lot 
in specific areas of the website to increase sales. I've literally looked at the key areas of the old website that I want to keep, put them into the new one, and it's increasing sales. I've got a whole strategy panned out for the rest of the year, for the next 12 months. I'm barely in month one or two, and it's growing. It's not going to be plain sailing. For example, there's some things where I've, I've pushed out content. We're ranking in the top spots for for key queries within a couple of weeks. Now, I've been straightforward with the business and said, it's not going to be like this for everything. I could not put out a piece of content and rank in a couple of weeks for certain things, certainly like in the top spots, but I know there are areas where our competitors are weak. I've done this to demonstrate to you the value of the strategy that I'm putting in place. So if you buy into me and this strategy, I can help increase that for you. So, and when things go wrong, I think that to answer your question, transparency is important I've been in situations before and in teams before where people have sort of lied and, and BS'd to cover it up but you'll always get found out um, and you should never people always will either lie or they will say well our competitors did this which we didn't know about for me that second one is just shouldn't fly with me you shouldn't again we could do another episode of this we should you should never wait for your competitors to move before you move or equally you shouldn't try and justify your own decisions for your business on whether your competitors have done it or not the idea is to be the best at what you do not the first because if it was just literally just a race to be first then i think the whole industry in terms of quality would diminish rapidly for example digressing a little bit i think i don't think i've mentioned this on my um, podcast recording before but in fact, it was a conversation that I had at Brighton, so I'm sidestepping a moment, bear with me. So, um, at Brighton SEO, afterwards during the networking, there was an agency owner who came to me and he said, Azim, I want to start a podcast. Um, I've got this, this and this, like I spent thousands of pounds on equipment. What, what should I do? And then I went through, we had a whole long conversation about it, but I literally told this guy everything that I know about podcasting, the tools that I use, the software, the cost, how I edit, because... Um, the podcast is all me nobody else does it for me I do it outside of my work literally I told this guy everything at the end he said to me why have you told me all this like you've literally given away everything what's to stop me from making a podcast like yours um, and potentially being better than you and I said I wouldn't have told you any of this if I didn't believe that every time I press start recording on a podcast that it's going to be a brilliant episode if I at any point, like even before this episode tonight, I wouldn't have um, clicked join studio if I didn't think that there was going to be some value to be had from this episode. If I was not 100% or I thought, hmm, you know, I'm going on to somebody else's podcast. I've got a podcast of my own. Potentially I could damage two, two brands here. I would never click join studio if I didn't think that there would be some value to be had. In answer to your first question earlier, I think so far... Hopefully, please tell me if that's the case. There is some value to be had. So yeah, very long-winded answer. You can tell I'm a podcaster, but you have to be honest. You have to be truthful, and you have to believe that the business, your client, or the agency, whatever working environment you're in, you have to believe whenever you try and execute any part of anything that you're going to be really good yes. at. Hundred percent. Oh, amen. I, I I agree with everything you were saying. A lot of head nodding. Um, the, the, the other <laughs> thing I didn't hear you mention, so you're, you're going around the room, you're talking about, uh, ROI to this person, you're talking about market share to this person and, um, the audience segmentation to the CMO and everything like that, but the deliverables, 
when you're trying to get buy-in for from a boss, how important is you know how many pieces of content they're going to get, how much, uh, how many hours they're going to spend on link build, whatever the the deliverable is. How do you approach that conversation with people who really mostly probably care about the result um, and the ROI? Where, where does the deliverable come in play? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the, how I uh, ended my talk at Brighton, so the last little section of the talk. I used um, a scale, and it was from uh, one of some Sinex talks where he was talking about uh, how the Navy SEALs choose different members of their team, and it was literally performance and trust. So how I present this in terms of deliverables are, as I mentioned at the start, I look at channels, not in isolation, mm -hmm. but together. So if you imagine, I'll, I'll send you a link to the slide so um, people can go and check them out. But essentially, bottom left-hand corner, lowest performing, lowest trust, typically everybody sort of avoids that channel. And the inverse, top right, would be highest performing, highest trust. It's essentially called the unicorn. So in the Navy SEAL example, literally, that person doesn't exist. In a marketing example, typically, that wouldn't exist. On the lowest performing one, you could probably say something like, display advertising mm. on Google where you either have or haven't bought inventory or it's of very low quality You've it's the digital equivalent of just licking right. your finger and, and, and putting it in the air and hoping for the best where I looked at and focused was on the right hand side but in the middle to bottom so high trust and low performing or medium trust uh, and high performing uh, sorry high trust medium performing essentially the channels where you can look to get sustained long-term growth from and one of the things that I do and if you ever see any of my more recent slides slide two or slide three will literally say the words widely applicable when that comes up on the screen I say to people I make these talks as widely applicable as possible what I won't do is say here's a case study for a client where I've delivered X Y and Z because I've been in the room and I've spoke after people who have done that and it doesn't do anything other than stroke their own individual egos. I did a talk um, in October last year, literally about how to start a podcast. I used my own as an example, but I never said I've done this, this and this, and here's how I've grown my podcast. I've literally said, here's the tools, here's the equipment you need. So that's that. When it comes to cold, hard numbers and deliverables, if I'm in that room, I'll say, typically you invest X, I forecast that we will get Y. If the economy... Um, or the situation works in our favour, I think we could get this. If things decline as they are, so without boring you too much or sidestepping, a lot of the things that I look at now um, involve wondering if the costs of shipping containers are going to, uh, freight containers are going to go up or going to go down. That has an impact to the point where I'm very fortunate that with uh, my company we have even been into uh, the stock factory to look at all the stock and look at all the volume of stock there that hasn't actually gone out in e-commerce i think if anybody i'm not an e-commerce expert but i can point you to three or four people who are incredible i think it's important for a marketer to literally go and look at all that stock because it those numbers in analytics you can get lost in when you look at all that cold hard stock that needs to move you have a reality you see that there are people in there who work long hard hours all morning all night organizing and moving that stock that, that you cannot get out of analytics i've digressed again please shout <laughs> to me but in answer to your question cold hard deliverables i will say i think if you give me this give me x i will give you y if i don't give you y we'll have regular check-ins and i'll tell you why that is not happening why i haven't given you y if that makes sense 
but I will always end the presentation with that and I'll drop it in the middle and I'll drop it in the start because ultimately like I said when I talked about those kitchen conversations those people in that room it might be 3 or 4 p.m. Um, <clears throat> at the end of the day they might be physically in the room or if it's digital they might be there um, but they might not be fully there they might have got a lot of other considerations to the point where i even did this in my in my um brighton seo talk so it was, it was 4 p.m on the second day and i was fortunate enough that 4 p.m on the first day i had a look around and i thought right i am going to give my talk at this time lots of people were sort of tired waiting for the keynote it was the sort of session where people were like oh you know it's a long day 10 till practically six of networking so I literally thought I need to get everybody engaged in the room because my talk was the first one after a break. So I went on stage and I said to everyone, I've hidden a pink post-it note under one of your chairs. Very big thank you to my friend Andrew for this idea. But I said, I've hidden a pink post-it note under one of your chairs. I need to get you all engaged. If you find that, you win a prize. Literally everybody went from like zombie mode right started panicking and everyone got moving i was like right now i've got you all moving i'm very sorry that was all right now i know you're engaged here's the talk that i'm gonna give to you uh, and it seemed to go down well it seemed to go down well but yeah in answer to your question cold hard numbers i say here's what i'll deliver to you at the start middle and end um and i don't use bullet points because i know greg is uh, not a big fan of them <laughs> um but yeah that's the point that's the whole the whole thing basically the whole shebang start middle and end and i will say hold me to them and if we can't then i'll have a reason why and if it's the truth that it's just not been good enough like i said transparency yeah i love it this is this is really the hard work of being a marketer I, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation a lot i wonder if you could mm. tell me something i i mentioned claire carlisle at the beginning mm. you had her on the show recently that was the episode i, I listened to right before i came on here it was like two pals getting back together and, and talking about marketing is, it was really outstanding really really good um i get asked this a lot is there an episode or a handful of episodes that really you think about it that, that really went well that uh that you might want to point our audience to yeah absolutely oh god there, there's lots i'm very fortunate enough to I think i'm at 66 or 67 i'm absolutely gonna check now uh, I never thought I'd make it to this point, to be fair. I will say that episode uh, 63, I've lied, I've added four episodes on. Episode 63, which depending on when this is released, so episode 63 will be released on the 4th of May. I really, really enjoyed that. I'm not giving away the guests, but it's a, the topic is about how content is much more than just SEO blogs. It's somebody who I have hugely admired in the industry uh, deserves to be a much bigger and more well-known name who literally blew my mind in terms of what they were sharing a few times I remember listening to their answers and I was just like oh wow but yeah episode 63 that's about how content is much more than SEO blogs typically people like to mention the, the bigger names in marketing so 58 Ross yeah, Simmons fantastic episode about getting content distribution right and i literally said to him you're on loads of podcasts but i want you to tell me things that you haven't shared in other podcasts so i probed him so there are exclusives on there um literally there are loads um i would recommend just going through please don't listen to them all it'll be a very long period of time but i'm quite fortunate enough to cover a wide range of topics in my podcast all the way through from typical ppc seo social media to things like 
pay equity, diversity and inclusion, um, even in things that I don't know a lot about, like the LGBTQ plus inclusion. Lots of things. Go there. Have a look. Um, pick one that you like. And then I always say on my episodes more recently, if you don't want to leave a um, rating or feedback, just hit up that guest and just say thank you because it's happened to me in the past hopefully it happens after this podcast where people have said i've listened to this episode i've loved it do that it will make somebody stay so yeah awesome awesome uh we should probably do this like if people want to get in touch with you or if they want to find the podcast where should they go yeah uh typically i spend most of my time on social media on twitter so i'm on twitter at azim digital you can find the podcast it's called the azim digital asks podcasts uh, shameless plug my website is i am azim digital.com and hopefully touch wood if none of that works just type in how can i contact azim depending on this ongoing battle that i'm having with the jewelers in london I should have the featured snippet there and you should find my contact page on the website. This is where you do it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I, I've, uh, I'm really a fan of yours now. I, I'm glad I got introduced to the podcast and I'll continue to listen in. Uh, I'm going to give you okay. a virtual cheers for now and for, for the rest of our audience. We'll be back next week with another episode of Suds and Search. Uh, thanks again, Azim.